Welcome to the World Video Bible School Podcast. This week, we are concluding our set of lessons on the home. Last week focused on part one of the program, Building Great Kids. Glenn Colley continues this study by providing additional practical points that we can implement with our children. In this final lesson for the month, Glenn will discuss topics such as getting selfishness out of your house, money, and why allowance should never pay for chores, dating rules in reference to clothing, dancing, and sex, controlling the media in your house, music, TV, movies, and the internet. Join Glenn Colley in this final lesson on how we can build great kids. We're talking about seven different matters. Here's the fourth in rearing our kids to be unspotted from the world, matters of selfishness. Now here's what Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 of the Bible says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I must teach my small children that when they're selfish, they lose. Now, back to those entitlements, you know. When I'm thinking about entitlements for children, I'm thinking about toys and games and cell phones and computers and snacks and clothes that they like, that these are gifts that I, as your parent, am giving to you. They're not entitlements. It's not that you're entitled to them. There's going to come a time when your child is going to say to you, I don't like the way that you do this, mother, and that's my room. Stay out of my room, which is a great teachable moment. The response to that is to sit down with your child and say, let me explain something to you. You belong to me. The nose on your face and the ears on the side of your head, they belong to me. And everything in your world that appertains to you belongs to me. That room is mine. That chest of drawers is mine. That bed is mine. And the food that you eat, that's mine. And, and you are mine. And, and my responsibility from God is to rear you up in a way that is good and right. And, and then we get away from this entitlement thing because you, you've got to be the mama. You've got to be the daddy. And sometimes, sometimes in reference to selfishness, you have to get their attention in order to create that teachable moment. When, when our daughter was small and her brother's four years older than she, well, we went to McDonald's one day and I, I'm not sure, it may have been an economic decision, I don't know, but, but my wife, Cindy, said to our daughter Hannah, said, now Hannah, I want you to share your French fries with your brother. No, she said, I, I don't want to share my French fries. These are my French fries. And Cindy said, well, we always share, and, and I want you to share with your brother, and if, if you don't want to share, then you can't have supper. I know that sounds kind of strong, but Hannah's, I, I, think, I think Cindy assumed that Hannah would say, okay, well, I'm going to share, I, I'll share. But that wasn't her response at all. She probably has more of my genes, and she said, well, I just, I just won't eat. That, that's fine. I don't have to have supper. And so Caleb got all the fries, and that was the evening meal. And, and we went on through the evening. He said, he said now, now, Hannah, I mean it now. If you make this decision, no snacks tonight, no supper tonight, that's your decision until you decide that you're ready to be somebody who shares. She'd made her decision. She'd, she'd tug in her heels. But you know, some, this, God, this miraculous thing happened by the next morning. I mean, before breakfast, Hannah became the most sharingest thing you ever saw. She couldn't wait to share with her brother. She was so cooperative. You know what happened, of course, is that we found a teachable, created a teachable moment. Your children have to learn unselfishness. But bake cookies with your kids and take them to the nursing home and get them around those beds of those folks who will love them so very much. Sometimes it may not seem so pleasant to be there, but it's good for your kids. 
Now number five. Let's talk about matters of money. In the, the education of your children, at some point, you'll do them a favor to teach them about money. Now, allowance is something that, of course, is commonly given by parents to their kids. And I think allowance is a good idea, provided this. Allowance is not pay. I think this point is very important. Allowance is not pay for work that you do uh, in this house. Now, see, we have chores. I think it's good to put them on the refrigerator on a piece of paper. And every person in that house, every child has, has chores to do. And, and we each in this house, mom and dad and the kids, have our own chores, jobs that we do because we're part of this family. Now, those responsibilities communicate to the children. They, they, they may not appreciate this at the time, but it communicates that we all pitch in because our family represents kind of a corporation. This is our own little world here, and everybody has to, to pitch in and be a part of this. Allowance is not something I'm giving you to pay you to do these things. Those are your chores. That's because you're part of the family. Allowance is what I'm giving you because I want to teach you how to handle money. Now, now what about this? What if, what if daddy becomes the bank? Be the daddy bank. Get, a, get, a, get you a book for bank keeping, the, 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 the figures, and, and let daddy be the bank. So when the child gets an allowance, then the daddy will it is teach about depositing the money. You can deposit the money into the bank. Now, here's why you would want to do that, is that every month I will pay you, let's say, and you need to make it a nice round number so that they can remember it, I'll pay you 10% interest on whatever money you have in the daddy bank each month. Now, of course you'll explain that. Of course you, you'll make them understand. But what you're doing is that you're, of course, 10% of, of a small amount like that. It doesn't amount to anything, but the 10% will help them to understand the principle. And, and what you're doing is to teach them that saving money is really a, really a smart thing to do. And they'll watch that, that interest accrue and they'll watch the, the money as they make these deposits. It'll grow and they'll, they'll find some satisfaction in saving their money. And the Bible, the Bible teaches it's not wrong to invest and save money. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor with his hands. That thing which is good, that it may have to give to him that has not, or that him that needs. Teach your children from their allowance to give to the Lord off the top. Now, I understand when they're very small, you want to teach them the habit of giving, and so you hand them a, a quarter or a dollar, and they just drop it in the plate, and they think that's fun, and I'm good with that. Teaches a, teaches a habit, I suppose. But when they're old enough to have allowance and understand about having money of their own, the, the contribution to the Lord's work needs to come from that allowance. That's important because they need to learn that they sacrifice for the Lord. When they're old enough, let them create a job. People, people love to help a kid who's really out there hustling, work, a lemonade stand. I think that's a great idea. And of course, in our time with the dangers, you, you, you'd take precautions. Uh, Hannah and my wife, Cindy, went into the bread business. They, they would bake bread and, and uh, Cindy sat down with her and they calculated how much the ingredients cost in a loaf of bread, including the electricity to run the oven and the flour and the whatever else is, is in that bread. And so they would bake bread they would wrap it up and then Hannah would take it in the wagon and go door to door in our little neighborhood and, and knock and say, we just baked fresh bread and it's hot. Would you like to buy a loaf? And, and so she'd bring the money. Of course, it took about 10 minutes to see the people would buy whatever 
bread. They loved a little girl in a dress and bread, and they would buy it. And so Hannah would come home, and she and mother would sit down, and they would take out the money that, that they had invested in this for their ingredients, and then they would split the profit. And what you're doing is teaching your children how to handle money. And uh, th that's got to be a good thing to do. Now, at some point, at some point, you're going to have your children say to you, uh, this is my money, and, and you're going to let them blow it. Now, that, that's not going to be hard, uh, not going to be easy to do. That's going to be kind of hard. You're going to let them blow their money, and they're, they're going to be, there's going to be something they, they want, and it's going to require all of their money, and you're going to say to them, I don't think that's a good use of your money, but, uh, but if that's what you want to do, then, then you can do that. Now, that would be a calculated decision. Uh, with, with our son, it was about some Michael Jordan tennis shoes. I mean, he really wanted them, but they were very expensive. He, he had worked in his little money-making venture and he had the money to buy them. It would take all of his money to buy these tennis shoes. And we would buy his tennis shoes, but we were going to buy them, you know, he outgrew them so fast. We, we would buy the discount tennis shoes and they were perfectly all right, but they just weren't trendy. So he bought these shoes with his own money. And you, you know what? The, the expensive shoes wore out as quick as the inexpensive shoes. And, and, and before long, and it wasn't very long, he had a pair of very expensive shoes that he couldn't wear. Uh, he learned a lesson and incidentally wanted us to go back to the old method of buying the discount shoes and we would buy them. Then there's, there, there, there will come a time, I think, when, when your child is going to say to you, I, I'm going to buy this thing, and you say, no, no, that's, that's not a good way to use your money. You need to save your money till next time. And he or she's going to say, well, that's my money. Yes, I can too. That, that's my money and I can do anything I want with my money. Which is your cue to go back to the speech about how that you belong to me and your room belongs to me and your dresser and your nose and your ears, all of that belongs to me. You have the parent speech and you're, you're having that teachable moment. The whole thing about money in this discussion is that I need to train them about how to handle money, about how to care for money, how to save money. And, and that's the point. All right, here's number six, the matters of morals. We've got to deal with this. Listen, parents, it, we, we can't ignore this, nor can we make decisions that direct them in the wrong way. We can't just be aloof to this, where we assume that, that we can go along in so, some practices that will lead to immorality, but it won't because we're Christians. That, that we've got to make deliberate decisions to, to help our kids grow up with a backbone with convictions about what is right and what is wrong with reference to morality. Now, it's a great battle going on out there with Satan and, and sometimes it's hard to tell who's winning the, I mean, with the kids. It's going to be about, it's going to be about mass media. It's going to be in your family about what kind of music your kids listen to. Do you know what your kids listen to? Do you know from the CDs? I mean, they got the things in their ears. Do you know? Do you know what they're listening to? You need to find out what they're listening to because go go online sometime and look up the top forty uh, on the pop charts and and read the lyrics. But but you better be sitting down when you do that because you're you're in for a real shock. I mean, if you haven't done this, we need to be careful about what our kids are listening to. We need to know what our kids are listening to. Television's the same way. Now look, we, we can't just take this smug attitude, uh, parents, that says, if Hollywood turns it out, we got to see it. 
I, I think that the television can be enemy number one in your family. I don't think it's wrong to have a television, but it's wrong to have one and not control it. So make some rules that are hard, fast, con concrete rules in your house about that television. If it starts using this profanity, we're either going to change it or turn it off right then. If they start doing this sexually or, or you have this, they start taking off their clothes, we're going to either turn it off or change the channel right then. No exceptions. Now listen to me. I'm dad. I, I, I bought that television. If I can't control it, I know how to unplug it and get rid of it. But I can't let the devil come, to, come into my house and train the hearts of my children to be immoral. And, and so what we've got to do is, as parents is that we regulate the media so that we I mean, control it and we're building into our children a sense of resistance against that which is wrong. What about the Internet? Well, this, isn't, this is so important. The Internet has, has just swept our world and most all of us use the Internet. But of course the devil has seen fit to corrupt corrupt so much of it with pornography. Now, I, I did a study one time recently and found out, at least in our country, that the average age that a boy is exposed to pornography, and I, I know that it's applicable to girls too, but the percentages are so much smaller. With reference to our boys, pornography uh, is introduced into his life at the average age of 11. 11. I went to the elders in the church for which I preach and I said, I want to have a class. I want you to let me have the boys for a class between the age of 10 and 14, uh, between those ages, and let me have them for a quarter. And I invited the parents to come in. If they wanted to come in, that would be fine with me. But I wanted to teach them a lot of things, but one of the things was about resisting pornography. And I wasn't trying to trick them, but I asked them this question. When was the first time that you saw pornography? ages 10 to 14, and everybody, these are good boys. These are boys that are raised by good parents or good homes, Christian homes, but every boy had a story. Every boy had a story about the first time, and it wasn't deliberate, it was accidental that he just came upon it one way or another. And the point that I want to make is that, and you have to hear me say this, is that your children don't have to go looking for pornography. Pornography is going to come looking for them. Put your computer in a public room of your house. No online computers in your children's bedrooms. And put, put programs into those, guards into those computers that will, that will limit and make sure that porn doesn't come onto those. You've got to take these restraints in order that, that you can prevent at least as much as possible the devil from getting into the hearts of your children. Parents should have every password of anything that pertains to his children or her children. Dads, make sure that while you're teaching your children about morality that you aren't having anything to do with pornography. Be sure to keep your computer use and your television watching and your movie watching. Be sure that you're keeping pure because you cannot teach what you will not do. Now what about modest apparel? Let's talk about clothing. Uh, so I know that Christians are just about the only ones who talk about this. But it's because the Bible says something and because about it and because good reason dictates that we do. I had a father come to me the other day and he said, 
He has two teenage daughters, beautiful girls. And he said, Glenn, we're having a struggle over modest apparel. And my girls are good girls and they want to do what's right. But they have pointed out to me that the Bible doesn't actually say that, that this is how short is too short, this is how low is too low, or this is how tight is too tight. And I, I want to be able to give them a good answer for a biblical answer for how we judge this. I, I think that's a good question. The answer, the answer is that God put the best judge in the world in your house. His name is Daddy. I mean, think about it. Dad, I'm talking about a Christian father. A, a dad happens to be a man himself, so he understands this, this issue. But furthermore, he loves you enough to die for you. you. You take that combination. He's the best judge. And so when, when our daughter was growing up, and she's, she's married now, when she was growing up, she would, she would buy a new dress or have some sort of a, a different kind of clothing, and she would, she would come in, and before she went out, she would say, Daddy, what about this? And I, would, I, would, I had this little, I would do this. That doesn't mean you're crazy. It means I want you to rotate, turn around. And so she would slowly, sometimes she would do it fast. Now, no, no, slowly. And she would slowly. And, I, and sometimes I would say, honey, I, I think that looks good. I, I think that's just fine. Sometimes I would say, you know, Hannah, that's, that's not good. That, I believe that's too short. You need to go in and change that. But Daddy, she would sometimes, I just, I just bought this dress. Well, I, I'm sorry, but I, I think you're going to have to return it because it's just too short, too short. I love her so very much. And I understand the thing about modest apparel and the importance of it. And 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that women are to, to dress with a sense of, of understanding and shamefacedness and sobriety and modest apparel. Listen, I know what society says. It says that with reference to immodest apparel or just apparel, apparel that is at all, with reference to, to how women dress, that men see so much skin these days that they just don't notice this stuff anymore. You know, I, I know that there are things that we may like that we see so much of that we just no longer, they just no longer phase us. I have, a, I have a friend who's a preacher who loves roller coasters. He travels around the country. I guess he still does. He travels around the country and he rides antique roller coasters and he just loves them. I suppose a man could ride a particular roller coaster so many times over and over again that he would just lose his interest in that. There are kinds, kinds of food that people like. Maybe you like pepperoni pizza and, and you really love it. I suppose you could eat enough of that, though, that you just no longer found it appealing at all. I want you to know something, though. In reference to the subject we're discussing right now about apparel and about a woman's body and all of that sort of thing, I'm telling you, it's not like that. The fact that men see so much of it doesn't indicate that they no longer notice that or that that no longer has an impression on them. You want to rear your kids up with a sense of what is right and wrong. You're not trying to keep sex from them. You're trying to keep sex for them and also to make sure that, that when they're married, they don't have all of these regrets about the past. Protect them from that by rearing them up with a sense of what's right. And when they get old enough to date, you, you, we've got to talk about the, the don't go there's about dating. Areas of the body that aren't for looking, aren't for touching either. Next, don't go in the, boy, the, the bedroom with your boyfriend alone and close the door. I don't care if there are adults there. You don't need to be in that bedroom with the door closed with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Next, never go into an empty house with your boyfriend. 
I, you say, well, but Daddy, what, what, if he, what if he left his keys in there and nobody's home, so we just go in for a little while, to, just for a minute to get his key. No, 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 no. Just, just, just understand that if the house is empty, you don't need to be going in the house with your boyfriend or your girlfriend alone. It's, it's just, it's, if you never do that, then you're never going to have that temptation. Don't sit on a boy's lap. It's an invitation to promiscuity. Parents, make a curfew. And, and let your children know that, that you need to know where they're going, what time they're going to return. And, and don't, don't dance with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I know, I know. I, I just never did grasp this, that, that what we're saying as Christians to our children is we want you to live pure lives. We want you to save sex for marriage. And then, then we send them to the prom or to some party where there's dancing. And, and how that it works is you, you dim the lights and... and you, you move your body seductively to the beat of music in front of your, you're all, you're 17 years, 18 years old, and already she's driving you crazy with the way that she looks, but, but what we're doing now is that I, we're having a dance, and so that she's going to move her body to the beat of that music, and somehow that that's supposed to be a healthy thing. I, I don't believe it's healthy at all. I think it's to the contrary, and it's, it conflicts with our Christian profession. What we're trying to do is to teach them with, with scriptural principles and, and with a love for their hearts and their souls and, and their whole lives to be moral in the way they think and the way that they act. Number seven, here's the last one. Matters of conscience. Conscience. Your conscience is that capacity, that facet of the mind that approves or disapproves your actions based on your value system. All right? So your value system has to be in place by what you're trained and taught. Your conscience is just that which approves or disapproves you based on that value system. So what I want to do is to teach my children to, to be sensitive to doing what the right thing is and to not suppress the conscience. Because you can, you can push back your conscience so often that, that you just don't feel it anymore and it doesn't, it doesn't act as a guide for your life anymore. How do you teach that? How do you teach to be sensitive to your conscience and to live with a clean conscience? I think we do it with the teaching of chores. So in the chores we referenced earlier, uh, if, if the chore isn't done right, I give you a chore, I want you to sweep the porch. Now I think it needs to be age appropriate and that we take those things into consideration. But a child needs to do the best job he can do to do the right job. And so you say to your son, now, when I'm going to work today, I want you to sweep the back porch and do a good job. And, and then when you get home, you, the dad, you, you look at the porch and it's not halfway done. You can tell that either he didn't do it or he didn't try. And so you go and you say, what happened about the porch? And then, and then you make him do it again and maybe some discipline would be involved in there. If you do the chore, I really want you to do it right. Now why is that? Well, One of the reasons is I want him to be sensitive. I want him on his own to know that if I do it, whatever I'm putting my hand to, I need to do it right. Conscience. In Luke chapter 15, you read about the prodigal son, the most favored parable of the New Testament. And when the prodigal came back from sinning in the faraway country, do you remember what he said? He said to his dad, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I think that's very interesting. How did he know? He had sinned against heaven. I mean, it was obvious he'd sinned against his father. And he was coming home. He wanted to move back into the house again. But that's not my question. How did he know he had sinned against heaven? And the answer is that his father had taught him. There's conscience involved in that. It is that I'm responsible for, for my choices 
because there's a God. Conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the qualifications of elders, the first one is he must be blameless. That Greek word means cannot be laid hold of. The idea is that not that he's sinless, but there's nothing, no outstanding sin in his life that people could lay hold of and hold it against him when he's trying to guide them in the ways that are right. It's a man with a sincere conscience. I, I want to put that in my children. Now, how do, you put, how do you put this conscience, this appreciation for conscience in your sons and daughters? Remember the family Bible time we talked about. And when you, when you do that, tell them Bible accounts of people who did the right thing and people who did the wrong thing. Teach them about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Peter and Paul. Read, read to your children with the purpose of making them think noble thoughts. Don't just rear them on video games. What good is that? I'm not, I'm not opposed to video games altogether, but you know what? We ought to regulate how much time can be wasted on that. And then let's fill them up with good things. I would suggest that in training them in their conscience that you bring home challenges to your value system. I mean by you say, you, you, you might say, uh, today uh, I was at work and my, my superior just above me came and he said that he wanted me to do something. But I knew that it was dishonest. It would mean that I had to lie. And then say to your children, what do you suppose I did? And let them answer that. Or say, today I was, I was at the grocery store getting, buying things and and the clerk, the lady there, she, she gave me too much change. It was $1.50 too much. I didn't realize it until I'd gotten out into the car and I had driven to the end of the parking lot and I, I looked at my, the, the money in my hand. I was putting it away and I realized that she had given me $1.50 too much. And, and then say to your children, what do you suppose I did? And, and let them answer that. Bring home challenges to your value system and, and pepper them with them. Now look, there's a difference between raising a boy and training a boy. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Make some major family decisions and then stick to them. Ever thought about Daniel who prayed from his window? Even, even when he meant breaking the law. The Bible says in Daniel 6, it was his custom. And three times a day he would open the windows and pray toward Jerusalem. Now, I want to create dedication like that in my children. We worship faithfully. We pray faithfully. We study our Bibles. There are things that are true about this family because there's a God and because we're Christians. A Christian woman said to me the other day, when I was growing up, we never missed worship, ever. Getting ready for vacation, it meant that we were going to locate a good church where we were headed. I mean, even on Wednesday nights. Now, now folks, listen to me. That, that mentality is different from saying, uh, you, you know, uh, we're going to travel, take a vacation. We'll try to go on Sunday sometime if we can see a church. Maybe we will, maybe we won't, haphazard. There's a difference in those two kinds of families. I want you to be the first kind. I want you to be the kind that says, we're going to put the Lord first. I want you to raise kids who have a conscience about doing what is right. Always take truthfulness seriously. Make, make lying... Uh, a, Make them understand that lying is a black sin. It's, it's something that, that destroys relationships. It's something that compromises our relationship with God. It's something that, that does something inside of you. When your children tell a lie, shame them for it. I don't mean to abuse them, 
but, but let them know that something bad has happened here. Sit down with them and have a talk with them about the devil lying to Eve and what happened. Tell them about Jacob and how Jacob lied to his daddy Isaac. Tell them about John chapter 8 and verse 44. And the Bible says that the devil is a liar and he's the father of lies. And we want God to be our father, not the devil. Make lying a very serious issue because we've got to rear our children to love truth. If they're going to be raised in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord, if they're going to be raised to walk separate from the sinful world, if we're going to keep them unspotted from the world, they've got to have a love for truth. Where we started today was Psalm 127. It's a, it's a beautiful concept, but it, uh, it informs, of, uh, informs us of something very important. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. You and I, parents, don't have enough human ingenuity to build a successful home without the Lord. God bless you as you work every day to rear your children to know the definition of true success to live our lives and to go to heaven.